language is this organic thing that's always in flux and actually doesn't have really like strict rules. It's just we we place hierarchy on the rules. And so for me, when I think about how all these books and resources intersect, you know, I've really been struggling a lot with how colonizing white standard English is and, and, and being in this field, you know, how, how do we, you know, tease that apart? How do we work with that? How do we make sure we are recognizing other, other Englishes and working with our students that speak other languages and valuing um, other languages while we're still teaching this very standard racialized English? Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that focuses on topics related to English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. This episode is part of our special Reimagining Education series. To help visualize what the future might look like for English learners, their teachers, families, and communities, We are bringing together the people who are working to ensure that students have every opportunity to achieve their highest aspirations. We'll bring in EL leaders from around the country to discuss what they are planning for when schools reopen, how they plan on mitigating learning loss, how they are restructuring educator roles and resources under possible budget constraints, and much more. As always, we are committed to keeping you informed and inspired with resources to help you support your English learners. If you'd like to find more information or contribute to the series, check out our distance learning page at distance.elevation.com. Remember that Elevation has two L's. As always, thanks for listening. Stay safe and take care of each other. In this episode, we bring in Rebecca Robb to discuss how the global pandemic continues to change the way educators approach professional development, why the days of giant annual conferences might be replaced by less formal town hall style meetings, and what all these changes mean for professional organizations like TESOL and others. We also share some great resources to help teachers confront the race and equity issues our country is grappling with and how they relate to language learning. Our guest, Rebecca Robb, is president of Virginia TESOL and a doctoral candidate at Virginia Tech University, researching the induction and mentoring experiences of new ESOL and bilingual teachers in U.S. public schools. Her passion is seeking innovative ways to support teachers and reduce attrition in the ESOL bilingual field. As a former K-12 ESOL teacher in Virginia and North Carolina, she struggled to find support as an itinerant teacher and ultimately left the field twice, something which she wrote about candidly in her attrition story, A Statistics Five Years. These challenges led her to where she is today, supporting teachers. If you'd like to contact Rebecca, you can email her at rebecca.rob, that's R-A-A-B, at vt.edu. You can find links to her email and a lot more in the show notes. Here's our conversation with Rebecca Robb. Rebecca Robb, thank you so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I was really excited to chat with you um, about what you're doing at Virginia TESOL, what you're doing with conferences, town halls. There's lots to talk about. So I just teed up a bunch of things, but um, but I want to start with 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 what you said um, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago. It's a bit of a, I think maybe to some, like a bit of a controversial statement. Um, and you said recently that you're not sure that you want to do conferences anymore, which is something that organizations like Virginia TESOL um, are kind of famous for doing and focus mm-hmm. a lot of their attention on. So just simple question there. What what happened? What sort of changed your mind in some ways there? Yeah, that's a that's a big question, um, and I'll try to answer it succinctly. 
But essentially, um, COVID-19 happened. And um, my board and I really kind of had a, a moment where because we were now in a situation where we were not going to be able to plan a giant conference we had coming up, and I'll explain that, it really forced us to kind of look at what our priorities were as an organization. And it became really obvious that for, I would say, at least the last 10 years, we've just been completely fixated on conferences. And so we're an organization, you know, whose mission is to um, support teachers. And yet we're really just trying to plan a conference. And while that supports them, all of our efforts are spent on a back end dealing with financials, um, budgets, trying to find caterers and trying to make sure that the AV is covered and mm -hmm. getting all of the exhibitors. And that was just taking a toll. And this year was especially taxing because we're part of the Southeastern TESOL group. So not only do we have the state conference every year, there's always a regional conference, and then you have the big TESOL conference that's always in the spring. So essentially we've been begging our members to be a part of three different types of conferences. And it was Virginia's year in 2020 to host the Southeast TESOL conference. It rotates um, around nine other affiliates in the Southeast. It's a total of 11 states in, in the group. And uh, so 2020 for us was just a year of massive planning. And I, as president, I never thought, we, none of us did, none of us thought about what our teachers actually needed. It would kind of be a back thought, but yeah. really my, my concern was, are we gonna be able to make it out alive from planning this conference? Um, I've spent most of my presidency looking at how much coffee costs, yeah. and looking, you know, looking at how much, um, do you know, do we put microphones in the room, in the, in the breakout rooms versus not, do we have the money to, you know, print this or should we do it digitally? I mean, that was our life. It wasn't, oh, I wonder what, you know, itinerant teachers need during this time of crisis or I oh I wonder you know how we can do a better job with advocacy it was really just trying to survive the conference cycle and so when we were able to we've been able to postpone hosting 2020 until 2022 we got really lucky and our vendors were really great at working with us we just decided this was going to be a year where we rebranded ourselves or rethought about our commitments because we have time to breathe. And um, I just said it yesterday to a colleague again, I was like, for the first time, we're not planning a fall conference. Like it keeps hitting. Like I, you know, it's like some days I wake up and I feel like I should be doing something. It's like, well, we don't have to do that. And so we're trying to come up with other innovative ways to uh, help and support our members. So essentially, we've gone from being conference planners to supporting our teachers, which is ultimately what our mission was. So it's been a great recommitment for us um, to our mission. And as a result of something obviously really terrible and <laughs> traumatic in some ways, yeah. and you're not the only ones who have had to make these quick adjustments, and you're not the only ones who have seen um, these, these silver linings come, right. come up, you know, and it's funny how you, you, and we'll get more into this later, but like 
you know, you're talking about something that I've heard a lot, which is we were doing this because we, that's just what we did. And like, yeah. it just, time goes on and this is how we do things and this is what we're going to do. And then I know it's like anybody who has tried to put together any kind of conference or even gathering for teachers. We used to have these user gatherings around the country. Yeah. And my man, the amount of like work that it takes to get things together and organized. And I would think to myself, is this really what we want to be doing right now? So I think that rebranding piece is, uh, is nice to be able to do that. Yeah. And you know, the, the added part to it is we're all volunteers. None of us on the board, this, we don't get paid to be a part of this. We don't get, you know, work release to do this. It's, it's part, it's, it's an additional aspect to our, to our busy lives. And so, you know, the planning, like you mentioned, you've done it. it it's so intense that it overwhelms everything else. So, so you moved away from those conferences for now, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know you had like a kind of epiphany during an informal meeting. I know you're having lots of kind of informal meetings to support one another. And you came up with this idea of having these town hall meetings, which I know you've, you, you were running them for a while. You had one, I think really recently. Um, yeah, yesterday. Oh, great. So it's fresh yeah. in your mind. So yeah. t- tell us more first about how the idea came up and how these meetings have gone so far. I imagine the one yesterday was probably quite different than the one that you had at the very beginning, or at least the topics might've been different. Yes, so essentially our one of our board members, um, it, it started with an email from her and Virginia went into um, lockdown, schools closed on the 13th mm-hmm. of March. And so I guess about a week later, we started getting emails from different organizations across the state. And I realized that we needed to quickly get a resource page up on our website. And so that's kind of where it started. And so I emailed the board and talked about like, let's get resources up on the website. And one of the board members was like, could we just have, could we just have a zoom call and just chat? Like, I feel like I need to connect with people. And I was like, sure, that sounds great. So, you know, three days later, we had just a complete, um, conference free zoom chat you know we didn't talk about the conference at all like and in this meeting everyone was just talking about what their different schools were doing what different universities were doing and we just had a collective aha after about 30 minutes of this where we said to each other this is what everyone needs right now we just all need to talk sure and share about what is going on in our schools how our families are doing um just the inequities with uh, the internet capabilities and the fact that our many of our L's are having such a hard time getting online to even in, to even do the online teaching, and so that's where it started. And so we just said, oh, well, let's just let's just do town halls. Like, why don't we just do weekly town halls? And so we didn't even say let's just try it one time. We were like, let's do them every Wednesday from now until school gets out or K twelve school gets out. And so that's what we did. And um, they became really just a space where conversation was organic. So we purposely did not bring experts in because you had the experts in there. I'm sure. Yes. Our teachers teachers, already are experts. And I feel that this kind of goes back to like, maybe I'm done with conferences. I think PD is so hierarchical at this Mm -hmm. point. And that a lot of times what our teachers need is just to talk and share. And so these spaces became, I, one of my favorite days was one woman 
in a rural county, she mentioned that she was having such a hard time with the internet that she just wrote handwritten letters to her students. And it was interesting because the next week, multiple people were like, I wrote handwritten letters. And that's such a simple little, little uh, sharing, but you could see that people felt or the teachers took some power in that because I know many of them felt so powerless that they couldn't connect with their students. Right. There's and a lot of that going around with the mail yeah. and handwritten letters and these novel things, you know, that, yeah. uh, that have come back. Yeah. And so that's sort of what this space became. And the, the space also started bringing in people that I don't really know if we've had contact with in the past. We started having administrators come in and that nice blend of, teacher talk and having administrators listen to it, but because they were all from different counties, again, that hierarchy wasn't there, which I know when I taught in the school, I might not say something in front of my principal, but if it was a principal from a school totally far away from me, I might say something. Right, right. And, and so you sort of got really just organic I just keep using that word, really great conversations where, um, where people were talking. And then the Virginia Department of Ed, there was a representative that she attended for fun, as she told, just because she wanted to be with her colleagues. So, you know, it, these were just informal. And, um, you know, every week there was a combination of sharing um, tech tools. I remember the week we had a huge, we went on, we talked about Marco Polo for like 20, 20 minutes. Like yep. how could we use it? And people were sharing it. And then some weeks it was just, you know, worry about students and sharing, you know, stories of not being able to track down a student and then finding them. So it was just a real, it was that type of collegial support that we need, but we don't often get sure in our own buildings and the busy day-to-day of an active school. Yeah. And, and, you know, one thing that struck me about that is that you mentioned first that, you know, these were, you you didn't sort of bring in quote unquote experts. The experts were there. I guess I said that, but I think you agree that the experts are teachers. But then over time you had people come in who maybe you would consider maybe not experts, but those sort of top heavy people who are traditionally running the PD administrators. um, And then someone from the Virginia Department of Education. But the power in that is that those folks, to my knowledge, at least, and correct me if I'm wrong, were not like formally invited to this thing. They just said, Hey, this is cool thing going on. And I want to kind of know what's, what's happening. It makes mm-hmm. it so much more powerful and it's just so much simpler than, than putting a conference together, but who knew it would be this powerful. Oh, yeah, who knew it could be this easy to have great conversations with teachers? <laughs> yeah. And, and not only easy and powerful, but also it's something that has, has spread around, which, which leads me to my next question. I, yeah. I learned about your work and these town halls um, from Christina Lowe and Lenmar Cologne in um, Prince William County, who, who spoke to us in the podcast about, um, professional development and different things. And Lynn's talked about leading with magic, which I think is a, is an interesting thing as well. Um, but they, they, they said, you know, that they, or at least, um, uh, Christina mentioned that she learned about these town halls from you and she started sort of implementing something similar in her district, which is great because then these things spread around, um, and you can get different folks doing them sort of for different reasons. So that to me is a clear indicator of success. I'm curious from your perspective, what are two to three, maybe other outcomes, um, of the town hall meetings that you would point to as, as, as proof of success. So others can think about, you know, maybe doing something on their own and think about what might be the success for these. 
So I, I think from a very simple level, the success from the town halls were just the relationships that we created as a board with teachers in the state, but then teachers in the state creating relationships with each other. Yep. So I know that relationships were formed and I think that's brilliant. Um, Agreed. And so, because teacher support is just my, it's my passion with working with ESOL teachers. And so for me, just to see those relationships building, the sharing of email addresses and that back and forth, that's what I really felt like, okay, we're doing something now because we're creating um, networks of support that, you know, didn't exist prior to this. From a, another standpoint, we, we got invited um, to do things with the Virginia Department of Ed. And to my knowledge, since my time on the board, and I've been on the board since 2016, we haven't been invited to participate in anything. Now, we have invited them to participate, but it hasn't <laughs> right. gone the other way. And so two of our board members who are both K-12 teachers, they actually did a webinar with the Virginia Department of Ed on using lots of the different online resources that are available. They just went through and kind of talked about how they were using them. So it was a great, uh, I attended, it was really fun. They did a great job. And so, but that had not, to, again, to my knowledge, we'd never really been asked to do something like that before. And then um, we were also invited to participate in a special session with the Secretary of Education for Virginia. And again, I'm not sure if we hadn't been doing this outreach during COVID that we would have been invited into this conversation. Right. And the conversation was about sort of the L response to COVID-19 and opening schools in the fall. And so it was a really great opportunity because I represented um, Virginia TESOL at that meeting. And I just went in with notes from what the teachers said. Mm -hmm. It's like I just synthesized everything I had heard for from 10 weeks of um, town halls and sort of let that be known. And so as a me, representative of, of a larger body. Yep. Yes. And, and I even, and I made sure to say I am representing what teachers have said, like, not what I think, like, this is sort of what I've heard. And, and these are, or are, are, are the concerns. So, you know, I think that it's, we've, we've done two things that are super important and that I know our board is so excited about that we have connected with teachers on a level that we've never really done before, but we've also sort of shown the state that we're there for teachers, right? Like we're, we are a support for teachers in this state. Yeah. And you're right? doing that. You're doing that probably more now because you don't have to plan about, you know, how yeah. many pots of coffee you need at the conference. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, I, I sort of have a slight photographic memory. And so sometimes I'm like, I wish I didn't know how much that coffee costs because <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And and like the AV, it's just, it's insane. But uh, yeah, I do yeah. not have a photographic memory at all, but I do have those memories seared into my mind for sure. But, uh, but I digress. So, so thinking about the future of the town hall meetings, I know you did, you did one just this week. Um, what does the future look like? I mean, is this something that you're going to continue next school year, regardless of what school might look like? And things are more in flux now than they were, I think, when we last spoke. Yeah. So for sure, the board in our May meeting, we decided in May that we were going to continue these regardless, even if we end up planning comp, because we will go back to having to do a conference, at least in 2022, like we're going to continue this type of outreach because now we know how simple it is to do it. And um, 
So we're, we're definitely going to continue doing these. The big thing that we have to think about is when would be the best time for teachers. And this kind of goes into, I know every state is trying to figure out what their reopening is going to look like. And in Virginia, um, there is a big push for L's to be back in the classroom as well as students with disabilities. And so that we're really excited about. But as far as what that's going to look like, it's becoming a county by county um, situation. I know the county that I live in, in the mountains, where of Virginia, where Blacksburg is, I'm with Virginia Tech. Um, we, Montgomery County is going to have Wednesdays completely off. And so the students will be in school um, Monday, Tuesday, and then Thursday, Friday. And so we've already thrown around that if other districts do that, that maybe Wednesdays would be a great day to, to yeah. try to do something. Take advantage of that flexibility that was never there before. Right. Boy, if, if I if that was the case when I was a teacher, I begged for that. Just give me a day, even a half a day. Oh, yeah. You know? and, and let some of that time be unstructured, right? Agreed. So like, yep. you know, there's, why couldn't you sit in your room and, you know, cut out materials while you listen to the town hall? Do you well, know what I mean? Think, like, just think. Just think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, look at me. I'm thinking everyone's going to multitask. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, you know, or teachers could get together at the end of the day and come to the town hall together. So I definitely think I know that I really paid attention yesterday. We had a summer school town hall and we did that one because um, actually one of our board members is teaching summer school and, and she had noticed some challenges that she didn't think were necessarily going to be there. And so that's what we talked about in the summer school town hall. But what came out of it really was just the complete unknown still of what the fall is going to look like. And with the cases rising all over the country and different, I know, I don't know if you followed it. I don't know if it's made national news, but I've heard about in the state, like Fairfax County, which is in Northern Virginia, huge, large district teachers yep. there um, have, you know, really pushed not to go back live because of health concerns. And yeah. so it, the, the teacher union is getting involved, like different things are happening. And so um, a, another colleague that works in a district near there, she was saying that her district hasn't made any decisions. She thinks they're waiting to see what Fairfax does. So I think if we end up being hybrid-like, town halls, I think, can fluidly kind of fit in. I think once we hit more of a traditional calendar again, like you, I hope that maybe there's some flexibility that stays in K-12. But I think that if we can build the community now, people will take advantage of um, when we do offer it, hopefully they would attend. But you know, we've also been throwing around starting a podcast because then people could listen to that. I can help you with that. Yeah, yeah. That we really <laughs> wanted. Yeah, one of our um, one of our board members is um, a life coach, and uh, she she was like, "Let's do a podcast," and I was like, "Great, let's do it." You know, like all these new ideas are coming out. So, well, it's so I'm, important to have like different you know, different avenues to put things out, you know, different people are going to, are going to consume things in different ways. The same people, you know, it's, it's not all the same people who listen to the podcast that we have that, that get our newsletter, you know, it's just different modes of, and the more you can do the better. And you have different voices and different people who can do things in different ways. Now, I, mean, I know I'm telling you everything that you already know, but just, you know, sort of, you know, confirming that just by experience. 
Well, no, but I think that's important because with organizations, again, going back to where we used to just plan a conference, well, we have 14 people on our board and that we finally have a full board for the first time in a couple of years. It, it's slowly increased over the years, but there's like four or five people that are doing the, a lot of that conference planning. Yep. And then the other board members are always kind of wondering what they should be doing. So we've actually, to try to keep the momentum that we've built, we're actually having board meetings all next week in different work groups. So we have decided to get a group that's just going to focus on webinars. And then another group is just going to focus on outreach. And then, you know, within that, someone will do a podcast, getting the blog really up and going. Um, another board member is like, let's do a journal. Like we're finally, we have time to think differently now. Right, and that's right. really exciting. And to sort of um, take advantage of the folks that you have and give them yes. a role that they may want to participate in because not everybody, myself included, is, is a great conference planner. <laughs> no. And, and also to that type of work, it's very hard to have 10 people doing oh, that yep, type of work, absolutely. you know, cause it's kind of, it, it's, it's fixed, concentrated, but another piece of this, and I don't know if, you know, any of your listeners, if they're a part of any organization, we've actually started going through our articles of incorporation and it really stood out to me how much in there was written about the conference. And I thought we've got to like really, even from like an institutional putting this in paper, you know, solidify that we're more than that. Yep. And, and so we're, we're in two, in a two weeks, we're having a meeting to rewrite those. Oh, that's great. Really setting the groundwork to, to, to propel this, to keep it going this way into the future so that we don't slip back into sort of the roles we used to have, which I want to say are passive. They were not really, active and proactive for our teachers. We weren't asking people what they needed. We were just kind of, again, we mentioned this, doing the same thing we've always right. done. But so. I think that's really important going to those articles in your case and whatever that case yeah. be in whatever situation someone else is in, but taking the next step to say, all right, we've learned all these things. We're doing these things that are successful. We were doing things before that maybe weren't successful. How yeah. do we make sure that we continue? Because it is so easy to sort of slip back into the muscle memory that you've developed over however long, you know, we think about education in general and EL education, yes. I mean, you know, to, it's just going to be so easy. It's so easy to slip back into it, even with everything that we've learned. And in some ways, like in some ways, and I'm not wishing this on anybody or anything at all, but the longer this lasts and the more folks need to kind of be doing things in a different way, the more maybe muscle memory they'll learn in this way. And I'm always looking for silver linings, you know, I mean, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's really important to think about that. Um, I totally agree with you. You can't just, you can't just say, yes, we've learned and now we're going to change. I think the articles to having that meeting to do that is a great example of, of how you'd, uh, you'd go about making sure that the change, the change lasts. Um, yeah. yeah, I wanted to also talk about you this, and I was just talking with somebody about this today who thought it was a really interesting idea and it's, it's not a new idea by any means, but probably not something that folks do a lot of, and that's, um, that's book clubs. You, you, you yeah. also have been able to design those. Um, you weren't able to do those when you were planning for conferences or maybe it didn't occur to you. Uh, it tell didn't us more. Occur to us. Yeah. Right. It's not like, <laughs> yeah. So tell us uh, more about those. Um, have you started? What's the plan uh, moving forward and how, how do you see it um, playing out? Yeah. So I, I've got to give credit to where we got the idea from. We got the idea from Carolina Tesol. 
which is, is part of our affiliate group of the Southeastern group. And um, one of our board members just saw that, that they do book clubs and uh, said, can we do this? This was a text message. And I was like, sure, let's do it. And so within about 24 hours, our board had agreed that book clubs were a great idea. And, um, and we selected a book and one of our board members, um, our secretary, Laura Lewis is gonna lead it. And we're reading the book of Unknown Americans by um, Christina Enriquez. And I'm really excited about it because it's a novel. So we're not jumping in straight ahead with um, something like really academic. And the idea again is just to build community. And, but what made me really excited was, and what excites me about the board and how, what our changes have done is when we sent the email to the board saying, do you think book clubs are an, a good idea? And what books would you suggest? Three board members came back immediately and were like, yes, I'll lead a book club. And this is the book I want to lead. It's great. And, and that's exciting. And so we have, I need to check, but we've got people signed up and, um, and at the, when you share my information, I, I've, I've given you the link. So anyone can sign up to be a part of our book club. So you don't have to be a Virginia TESOL member Great. Um, to do this. So if, if, if you want to sign up and we probably will eventually do book club as a once a month meeting because that's how a lot of book clubs work. But this one, we're doing um, two sessions, the first one on July 8th, and then the second one on July 29th. And um, yeah, we're really excited about it. So we'll see how it goes. And um, we've got after this one, we'll start planning the next couple. Um, but again, that's so flexible. It's, it's with now that we're all used to using Zoom, it's so easy to just do these kind of very, to me, they're very simple ways to communicate and form community. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I'll, it'd be cool to like, let you know how this goes because I'm excited to see how we can develop this. And I would love to see members of not just board members, but members eventually lead the discussions right so that we even take it out of that leadership component and just kind of keep it growing and building yeah so. i mean book clubs i mean they're they've seen a lot of success there's i think there's and i could be getting it wrong but on twitter there's uh there's hashtag ell book club i think it mm -hmm. is um there's a few folks who run those and those are those are great they're over twitter what you know some people really like the twitter stuff some people you know have a hard time with it and would prefer i, I think kind of like a formal meeting so it's nice to have that as well um, but again, just different modes of reaching yep. people, um, however you want to do it. And that's great that you're also, that you're opening it up to everyone. I mean, some of the, mm -hmm. you know, some, the, one of the reasons that I ask, and I'll ask you at the end, like if there's a book that you've, that you've been reading is because it really, we put one blog post out a year, the 10 must reads for Yale educators that particular year. And it's always like among the most popular blog posts that we put out there, just because people are so excited to kind of find out what other people are reading. Um, yeah. And, and like you said, it's a great way to build community. And I really, uh, I really like the fact that you're starting with a novel rather than something too heavy, particularly in the yeah. summertime. I think that's a good move. Uh, yeah. We're like, it's summer book club. This yeah. does not need to be, you know, uh, something super intense. Right. Right. There's a time and a time and a place for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've mentioned silver linings now a couple of times. There's, there's clearly um, sort of been, been a lot of benefits, a lot of learnings from what we've, we've gone through as a, as a, as a community here um, of, of Yale educators. Mm -hmm. I'm curious at this point, what, what would you point to as maybe the most promising sort of innovation um, 
that you've seen that you think might actually have a direct impact on EL teachers and the students they serve moving forward? And I'm not, not just talking about like the fall, I'm talking about like, you know, in the foreseeable future. So I think the main thing that we are doing is we're creating community in the state of Virginia for ESOL teachers. And I find this to be really critical because our state, while we do have some districts that have large population, populations of L's and thus there are, are multiple ESOL teachers in the building or within the district, we have a considerable number of teachers who are itinerant and do not have that colleague support network within their districts, well, you know, buildings, districts, or even necessarily next door to them in another county. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the direct import, uh, the direct um, impact is creating and providing formal supports and informal supports. So, you know, we're, we are developing a webinar series for the fall and we'll continue to do conferences in the future. And that's that kind of formal support um, professional PD piece. But then to me, it's that informal emotional and um, almost just, you know, not just the pat on the back, but, you know, knowing that you have a colleague who truly understands what you're going through. Right. To me, that's what's so important because we have to have socio-emotional support just like our students do. Yep. It can be very isolating, this work, very isolating. It can be incredibly isolating. And, you know, what I noticed in our town halls is we had a couple of regulars who were itinerant teachers and were usually one, either the only or one of two teachers in their county. And so COVID, you know, they didn't have those building connections anymore. And so they showed up every week and would kind of talk about their experiences. And I, I could really, I relate to this. I was an itinerant teacher. So I think this is why I'm really passionate about informal supports. Mm-hmm. It was really hard when you didn't have anybody to talk about what it was like to worry about a student, you know, whose family was going through um, deportation or, you know, in the case of COVID, not getting enough to eat or, you know, fears about, um, you know, going and getting health care. I, I mean, we, our students have such, you know, uh, taxing emotional issues that affect us. And if you don't have a colleague to talk to that stuff about, it can really take its toll on your ability to be a great teacher to them right. and support them. So to me, that's what the impact of this whole thing has been is we're finally building the community that teachers need in this state. And so, um, you know, I, I hope that by continuing to really think about how we're going to keep this commitment, like as a board, how are we really going to stay committed to this, that we can just grow and be a teacher resource um, and a place where we're not viewed as like sage experts on the stage, but mm-hmm. the place to go when you need help. Sure. You know, the place to go when you need a colleague. Yeah. You you- just, yeah. You're creating community and curating great content from people who have it. And and I'm sure you're putting it out there too, but I think that's really important to mention. You know, it's just like we now want teachers to be. We, you know, Mm -hmm. information's at our fingertips and everybody has different information to share. It's just how do you go about sharing it? How do you go about finding it, curating it and sharing it? And a lot of that um, has to do with the community um, that you're building and that you've built and that hopefully will remain moving forward. And clearly that community is, is, getting a lot of value from one another. And they, I think, will want to continue this moving forward. Mm-hmm. 
But what do you think needs to happen um, for these for this community to continue, even if schools maybe go mm-hmm. back to what they looked like, you know, in September of 2019? Like that's ironically, that's a bit of a challenge, right? Yeah. Well, I think it goes back. We've kind of mentioned it. We just really have to stay grounded and that we're supposed to support teachers as a board. Like that's fundamentally we support teachers. And I think that um, we're kind of in a brilliant situation. Our, our current, so our current first vice president and second vice president haven't planned a conference before. I think this might be a good thing. Yeah. And so um, I, we were actually talking the other day and I was saying at some point, I got to teach y'all how to plan a conference because we had a, a first VP had to um, step down because she took a job in another state and she was moving and she had done it. So we were the conference like planning team at that point. And so I just kind of laughed and I said, I got to teach y'all how all this works, but I kind of don't want to, because I want us to stay focused on the support. Yeah, right. I don't blame you. You know? So um, I, I actually think that'll work to our advantage. Um, Jana Moore, who is, is going to be president when I step down, my term ends in October and she is just so gung ho about what we're doing. And, and this is where, you know, rewriting our articles of incorporation comes in. I think as a board, we have to commit on paper to um, providing these supports and making sure that the positions in the organization understand their role in providing the supports and that the conference is just part of that. It's just a piece that mm-hmm. goes into someone else. So I think that, that that's what's really important to do is just to stay really grounded and to stay connected. I mean, we... Um, again, all volunteer org, we haven't always had the best social media presence. And I have to say, I have never been big into social media myself, so it doesn't come naturally for me to do that. But we have really just leaned on our, um, our new webmaster who is a guru on all this. So we realized we have to just really be a part of the conversation and that is going to require us to be involved in social media in a way we haven't been before. Um, and so we're, we're acknowledging what we have to do to stay committed on the ground and keep our ear to what's happening with our teachers. Like we're, I don't think we'll ever, I say, I don't think my goal as president is that we never go back to just, you know, meeting once a year as a group for a conference that it's a constant ongoing thing. We've talked about having many conferences now trying to do things regionally. And so if we go back to pre COVID, um, I'm hoping that we take all that we've learned with us um, back into that situation. And I'm really thinking as I'm talking to you, the best thing is that our, 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 our leaders coming up don't know any better. They right. know this condition. This there's, is their, no, you know. there's no, there's no muscle memory built that you no know, they're building it built. now. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes that's the best thing is to get a fresh new set of folks in there who are, yeah. and, and uniquely now, I mean, I, you know, I can't even imagine being new to something now in education. In some ways it must be just totally horrifying and scary, but in other ways, maybe you don't even know it when you're experiencing it. You're learning so much and you're able to see things from such a different perspective, which is, I think, just so extremely important right now. Yeah, I think so too. 
So uh, I teased this question earlier, and it's a question that I ask everyone. Um, you mentioned one book, uh, mm-hmm. the, the book of unknown Americans, I think, that you're going to do for book club. So we'll, we'll link to that one as well, because you mentioned it, and I want to make sure people have it. But um, is there a book that you, another book that you'd, um, or resource that you'd like to mention and share um, that maybe has had an impact on you either personally or professionally? Yeah, so two, um, one book that I, when when I saw this question, I thought it's so important because of everything going on right now with Black Lives Matter, is a, is a book by um, um, Suhanti Motha called Race, Empire, and English Language Teaching, Creating Responsible and Ethical Anti-Race Practice. Um, this is a great book, and um, I think it's so timely with what's going on um, right now in our schools and our communities. And um, as we start to think about what teaching is going to look like after the um, all the protests and events that have been occurring since um, May, and at the same time, this ties in really nicely. I don't know if you saw, but I'll send you the link. But TESOL Quarterly and TESOL, the TESOL Journal, joined together to do a joint publication on race, identity, and English language teaching, and it's all free right now. So oh, great. You can we'll get link ac- to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. You can get access to, oh, it's multiple articles and um, you can get free access right now. So I think that I, I know as I'm preparing for my classes in the fall, I'm really cognizant of the need to bring in um, race in a way that I, I always discuss it, but I haven't really focused it on focused on it in the way that I probably should. So I know as, as my own growth, that's something I'm really focused on. So I'm excited about rereading this book and then pulling in these other resources. Um, at the same time, I uh, have two more I wanna share just because if you've not read any Bill Bryson, and um, he's one of my favorite authors because I, I just like facts or knowing why things are the way they are. And he writes these great books about, you know, just topics. So he wrote a book called at home and he goes through all the rooms in your house and like why things are the way they are. Why do we have salt and pepper? Why is it called hall? But for, for people in the Esau world, he wrote two books on the English language. One is the mother tongue and um, it's on English and how it got that way. And it, it's kind of, the old world perspective. And then my favorite, and I think it's really timely for right now, it's Made in America, an informal history of the English language in the United States. And to me, um, I enjoy reading them as someone that teaches language to constantly be reminded that language is this organic thing that's always in flux and actually doesn't have really like strict rules. It's just Mm -hmm. we, we place hierarchy on the rules. And so for me, when I think about how all these books and resources intersect, you know, I've really been struggling a lot with how colonizing white standard English is and, and, and being in this field, you know, how, how do we, you know, tease that apart? How do we work with that? How do we make sure we are recognizing other, other Englishes and working with our students that speak other languages and valuing um, other languages while we're still teaching this very standard racialized English. And so his books kind of tell you how words got the way they are and especially how things changed when they got to the U.S. And so I find them kind of, um, you know, they, they, 
they're not going to get into the race piece like the other texts, but they kind of give you some historical understanding of, of uh, English in the U.S., yeah. so, I, <laughs> which I appreciate. And I, I don't think you could have given us three better recommendations given what we're experiencing right now. And I, I, um, you mentioned to me a little while ago, and I've already, um, I've already ordered them. So I'm looking forward yeah. to reading those because, um, you know, they just, I, I didn't know about any of those books. And I, you know, in some ways I'm like ashamed to admit it, but it's like, unless you talk with people who have read these things and are sharing, sometimes you just miss them in your busy lives. So I really mm-hmm. appreciate you sharing those. And they sound great. Uh, and I'm looking forward to read them and we'll put um, links to where you can get those um, on the show notes as well. So last question, Rebecca, before we let you go, um, is how can people learn more about the work you're doing at Virginia TESOL or, um, or in your other, you're doing a lot of other work as well. I know you're doing a lot of writing right now as well. Yeah, so the best way to get involved with Virginia TESOL to see what we're doing is to go to our website and that's just um, VATESOL.com and links to social media are there. Um, also, I would like to say anyone who's listening to this, if you want to be part of a, of a TESOL community, you can join. Our, you don't have to be from Virginia to join. <laughs> and yeah, we're actually, uh, we have a, a summer membership drive going on. So we've reduced our um, membership fee um, for the summer. So it's $30 to join. And, um, but of course, some of our things that we offer, you do not have to be a member. So this book club that's coming up, you don't have to be a member to be a part of it. Um, and uh, so that the going to the website's the easiest way to get in contact with us, because that'll link to the blog um, and all of our different social media pages, which we've been working on getting those really up and going. I laugh and say, it's like I'm I don't, it's like, how could I be a millennial and I don't do social media that much, but that's, that's I'm, I'm, I'm with you as well. I'm yeah, not, that's who I am. I go through, I go through phases, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, and, and as far as my other work, I am finishing up my PhD at Virginia tech. And I, I think I sent, I have a link to one piece that I wrote. Um, Cause I always like to share, that I'm so committed to wanting to support teachers because of my own time as an itinerant teacher in Virginia and North Carolina, and just sort of what it was like being a first year uh, or a new teacher in those first five years. And so I've written a piece on, uh, it's called I'm a, or a statistics five years, because the statistic is that within five years, teachers leave, you yeah. know, and that was me twice, yeah. you know, and so um, I actually have found, um, and I've done some other things during that time period, but, you know, teacher support is um, just, just my passion and trying to figure out ways to keep people that get into this field, keep them kind of in the classroom if that's where they want to stay. You know, um, I kind of found other things because I was kind of disillusioned by classroom teaching, not because I didn't like it, but because other life factors were going on. And so you're not the only one there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of, you know, that's my, that's my passion. And, um, hopefully I'm, I mean, I'm working on my dissertation as we speak, it'll be going to committee really soon. So hopefully there'll be some research coming out about new teacher induction and mentoring in the field, because that's what I'm really focused on. Great. Well, we'll keep people updated on that. And, uh, and good luck. I mean, that's, that's a lot of work. I'm sure you're really proud of it, even though it's not completed yet, but uh, I hope it all goes well. Well, thank you so much. 
And thanks so much for joining us, Rebecca. This was, uh, I think, a really interesting conversation based on that first kind of, I don't want to do conferences anymore <laughs> statement. Why? I, I really like the arc of it. And I think you did a good job explaining why and hopefully giving folks some ideas of of really simple things that they can do to kind of get out mm-hmm. of there and maybe fix mindsets and um, and grow and learn a little bit more. Really appreciate your perspective. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.